0: Well hello and welcome and you've reached a bit of a milestone in our series I've entitled 66 books because we've reached the beginning of the New Testament because at this point we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew the first of the New Testament. Gospel accounts. But also, slightly different this time, is before launching straight into looking at the Gospel account of Matthew, I'd like to do an introduction to the Gospels and to consider both their writing and their purpose. So anyway, here you are. You're at the beginning of the New Testament and in a moment we'll be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, the book of the kingship of Jesus Christ. But Just by way of a short introduction, let's consider what these Gospels were and why they were written. According to a very long established practice, the first four books of the New Testament are known as the Gospels. This is probably because they record the Gospel, or the Good News, that's what the term means, of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world. Each of the four gospel writers had their own particular special purpose in writing their book, and they selected and used the material accordingly. Each gave their own emphasis to teaching and events taken from the life of Christ according to the purpose of their particular book. Each gospel writer wrote it for different people, People who came from different countries, different cultural backgrounds, even different racial and religious backgrounds. Yet there is no disagreement in the picture of Jesus Christ they describe. All four declare he is divine and human, Lord of all and Saviour of all people. These gospel accounts are not just straightforward biographies of Jesus and they make no attempt to give detailed or even chronological accounts of Jesus' life. Nevertheless, they give all the facts that people need to know in order to believe in Jesus as the Son of God and so that they may have life through him. Taken together, the four Gospel accounts present a picture of all the main periods of Jesus' life. These three periods are his early childhood, his public ministry, in other words his teaching, his healing and his miracles etc. and then finally of course his death, burial and resurrection. The stories of events leading to and including immediately following Jesus' birth are given some length in several gospel accounts. However nothing more is written about his childhood until he is about 12 years old. And even then, only one incident is recorded. But that incident is given because it is enough to show that even at an early age, Jesus knew he had a special relationship with God, for he was God's son. Nothing more is recorded in the Bible for the next 18 years of his life. Then when he is about 30 years old, the narrative begins again and he begins his public ministry. And that is seen to last about three and a half years. Much of this work was done in the Galilee area and we see how he meets his fiercest opposition in Judea in the south particularly in Jerusalem the center of the Jewish religious power of that day. The religious leaders considered Jesus was guilty of blasphemy in his claim to be the Son of God and they were constantly looking for opportunities to kill him. Jesus however carried on to continue his ministry openly Yet he must have known that he would be arrested and killed. But only when he had finished his ministry and the time had been appointed by his father to come. He says that himself in both Luke and John's accounts several times. Jesus' last week in Jerusalem across the, the gospel accounts is seen to be full of activity and is recorded in greater detail than any other part of his life. He appears to enter Jerusalem as Israel's Messiah, cleansing the temple, debating with hostile Jewish opponents and giving teaching to his disciples on many subjects, and then allowing himself to be arrested, cruelly treated, falsely condemned and even crucified. Then follows an account of his burial and his resurrection and the activity after his resurrection finally we are told he returns to his father with the promise that he would one day return. So after Jesus's ascension we then see that the very beginnings of the disciples beginning the task of spreading the good news of his salvation that Jesus had brought. They start in Jerusalem and from there their gospel is spread to neighboring provinces and then to countries beyond. This growth period is described for us in much more detail and continued through the book of Acts, which follows on immediately after the Gospel accounts. As the years pass, the church is seen to grow, and those who have seen and heard Jesus become fewer in number and more widely scattered. So in order to preserve what the actual witnesses taught about Jesus, people began to prepare written accounts of the things Jesus said and Jesus did. It is in this sort of activity we see the origins of these four gospel accounts. The first of which was probably written as early as AD 60 and the last written only in AD 90. It seems that Mark's gospel was the first to be written. Mark had assisted the Apostle Peter in missionary work, work that took them through the north of Asia Minor and eventually even brought them to Rome. When Peter left to go on further journeys, Mark remained for a while in Rome. The Roman Christians asked Mark to write down the story of Jesus as they had just heard it from Peter, and the result is that he wrote a book that we today know as Mark's Gospel. Over the years, Luke had also been taking notes and had been preparing an account of the life of Jesus. Luke gathered material from Paul as well as from other people living in early Palestine who had heard and seen jesus actual eye-witnesses to him when he arrived in rome he met with mark and he also took some of mark's material and added it to his own to bring his own account the gospel of luke to completion whereas mark wrote for a group of christians Luke wrote for someone who is probably not a Christian. The person named in the introduction is someone called Theophilus who appears to have been a government official of some important. And Luke's purpose was to give him and others a trustworthy account of the origins of Christianity. Luke's account was so long that in our current Bible it is divided into two books. The first covers the events, it, which is why it's, it's called a gospel because it covers the actual events from the birth of Jesus to his death, resurrection and ascension and is that today we know as Luke's gospel. The second part which covers the events after Jesus is essential right through to Paul's arrival in Rome we today know as the Acts of the Apostles. Now the Gospel of Matthew, the first one we're going to consider today, appears to have been written about 10 years after the Gospels of Mark and Luke. Matthew's concern was to produce an account of Jesus' ministry that was especially suited to the needs of Christians of Jewish background. His book shows a particular interest in the fulfilment of God's purpose concerning Israel's Messiah and the responsibility of the Messiah's people, in other words the Church, to spread his message to the Gentiles. By the time of its writing, Mark's Gospel certainly had become very widely known. And because it represented Peter's account of Jesus' ministry, it was also very well respected. Matthew includes much of Mark's material in his own book. In fact, about 90% of the Gospel of Mark is contained or found within the longer Matthew Gospel. The fourth Gospel, the Gospel of John, is different both in form and style, from these other three Gospels. This book was probably written within the last decade of the first century, by which time the other three Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark and Luke, were very well known. Although John follows the same general development of the story, from Jesus' baptism to his resurrection, his purpose was not to produce another narrative account of Jesus' life and ministry, He wanted to instruct people in basic Christian truth concerning not just who Jesus was but what he meant and what he meant for the world. The reason John wrote his gospel was that in the region where he lived, which was probably Ephesus, people were confused because of the activity of these false teachers who were appearing. Some of these teachers denied that Jesus was fully divine and others said that he was not fully human. John is seen to oppose these teachings in his writing but his chief reason for writing although he addressing these issues is not negative he has a positive position that he wants to propagate he wants to lead people to see Jesus as the son of God and so to find true life through him and he declares that in the overarching defining statement of his gospel account in John 20 verses 30 and 31. Much of John's Gospel consists of teaching and most of this teaching comes from the recorded words of Jesus himself. So that is just a short overview of the four Gospel accounts at the beginning of our New Testament. But now we'll begin with a slightly more in-depth picture of the book of Matthew, the book of the kingship of Jesus Christ. Matthew has been called by some the most important book of our Christian Bible. Some have even said it is the most important book that has ever been written. The title Matthew was given to it in fact in the 2nd century and it reflects the early church's strong belief that the author was the apostle himself named Matthew. The book itself does not identify its author but the early writers of the church unanimously credited it to Matthew. There are, we must acknowledge, some uncertainty concerning the stages of the development that the book went through before this final version appeared. However, it is widely recognized without reservation that Matthew's writing must at very least have provided the major source of the material for the final finished book. Like the rest of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew was written in Greek. It seems to have been written for Greek-speaking Jewish Christians of Syria and Palestine to assure them that Jesus was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament and that he fulfilled the purpose of the Saviour Messiah for which God had chosen both him and Israel. A likely place for the writing of the book is Antioch in Syria which was very closely connected with the Jewish churches of the region at that time and was a place of mission to the Gentile nations. The church itself was first born and first grew up in Jerusalem and Judea area only. An opposition was soon seen to development, and there became a need very early on for an account of the life of Christ, which could not only encourage persecuted Jewish believers, but also refute what the opponents were saying. A gospel account that could prove that the gospel of Jesus was not a contradiction of the Old Testament, but a fulfillment of it. So the subject, the message of this book is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the King of Israel. He is referred to as the Son of David throughout this book. The Magi are seen to seek the King of the Jews in Matthew's account. The prophecy of Micah 5.2 on the coming Messiah is applied to him. And he is said to fulfil many of the Old Testament prophecies in his calling as King and Saviour. The message is Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah, who although rejected by Israel, died and rose again and commissioned his people, his disciples, to go and make other disciples. In Matthew, the material is arranged according to subject matter rather than chronology. It is built mainly around five teaching sections where Jesus instructs his followers in what he requires of those who wish to enter. His kingdom, the kingdom of God. These five discourses dominate the book. Did you know that 60% of Matthew's thousand plus verses contain the direct spoken words of Christ and these five discourses are not only the words of Christ but they form the major dividing markers in the book. In the final analysis the subjects covered in this book determine its structure. The first purpose of Matthew is to explain that even though Jesus was proven by prophecy to be the Messiah and King, Israel still rejected him. So the Kingdom of God in a sense was adjourned and the church was inaugurated allowing everyone to potentially enter into God's blessing. You see Jewish believers of that time faced a dilemma concerning Christ the jewish nation had expected a conquering prince who would set up a great jewish kingdom if jesus was the messiah then why had they rejected him what had happened to the kingdom what is the spiritual fulfilment of the old testament or has god revoked those old testament promises and covenants on the basis of israel's rejection they needed clarification on these matters on not only in those but also concerning Christ's relationship to the Old Testament and his kingdom and to the purpose of this new thing called the church. Matthew meets this needs by pointing out repeatedly that Jesus did in fact fulfill all the Old Testament promises concerning the Messiah. He also is the Gospel writer who uses more Old Testament quotes than any other writer and over 130 in fact more than any other book in the Bible to show that Jesus absolutely fulfills the qualifications as Messiah. Matthew also refers to this thing called the kingdom of heaven 33 times, but that exact expression as he records it does not occur anywhere else in the New Testament. He first shows how the nation of Israel rejected their king and the Jews rejected the earthly kingdom that he could bring. He then shows that god's kingdom was postponed the promise of israel is not cancelled it is yet to be fulfilled but in the meantime god inaugurated an entirely new and in a sense unrecognized program which is called the church the body of christ matthew is the only gospel account in which this term church occurs because of the universal character of the church Matthew also has a particular emphasis on allowing the Gentiles to come in to this blessing. This can be seen in many ways. Interestingly, he mentions two Gentile women in Christ's genealogy. He also quotes the prophecy that the Messiah would proclaim judgment to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles would in fact find hope in him. And, of course, most importantly of all, by issuing the Great Commission to his disciples to make believers of all nations. The second purpose of Matthew was to encourage persecuted Jewish Christians in their faith. Jewish Christians were not only persecuted by the Roman authorities but they were persecuted by the unbelieving from a Christian point of view Jews they were persecuted for forsaking the religion of their ancestors Matthew reassures these Christians by pointing out that they were not the ones who had wandered away from the Old Testament religion. Rather, they were the ones that had found truth fulfillment of it. That Jesus did not contradict the law, but that he brought out its full meaning. Jesus had laid the foundation of his church, and no opposition, whether it be from Jews or Romans, would ever overpower it. So in summarizing this book we can say Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah and the Christ and the King of Israel who was rejected and and who died but who rose again and commissioned his disciples telling them to go and make disciples themselves among all nations. And that call stands for us today right down through the 2000 years of church history.